0: Welcome to another episode of the Hello Blink Show. We've got a special guest with us here today, Katni Rembor from Adafruit. She is a software developer, hardware designer, technical writer, and open source community leader. She's been working in electronics and programming since 2017 and still excited that her desk is a mess of wires and circuit boards. Specifically, we'd like to focus on the community leader aspect. What does it mean to engage and grow a community? Welcome to the practical podcast for technical people who want to start their own company. From founding to building your business, we're here to help. I'm Sean Hemel and I'm Harris Kenny. This is the Hello Blink Show. Hello Katney, welcome to the show. I watched your Pi Ohio talk recently, and you have a really fascinating story about what it what it was coming to work for Adafruit. Can you give us a recap of what that was like?
1: Yeah, for sure. So the whole thing started with getting a Raspberry Pi Zero from a friend of mine, and then doing the thing you immediately do after buying a Raspberry Pi, which is buy all the things to go with a Raspberry Pi. And in doing so, um, stumbled into a couple of accessories that were both a little bit expensive and also didn't actually work with the smaller Raspberry Pis. So I tried to replicate it with buying individual sensors, which was also very expensive, and ended up stumbling onto the Circuit Playground Express, which is actually a microcontroller board. It's not something compatible with Raspberry Pi, but I didn't know that at the time. Uh, but it has a bunch of sensors and LEDs and stuff built into it. So I thought, hey, this is what I'm looking for. I'll buy it. It's cheaper. Um, got it home, thought it was the most complicated thing I'd ever seen. Put it down, didn't touch it for two weeks. Uh, when I finally picked it up, I put together that it wasn't meant for use with Raspberry Pi, but I wanted to see what I could do with it. And it, I, I found references to Arduino, which went right over my head. Um, I found references to make code, which was just simple enough to be frustrating. And then I found one reference to Circuit Python, which I was trying to learn Python at the time, so I thought, all right, this works. So I got it going, and within five minutes I had an LED blinking, which in the month previous that I'd been trying to learn Python, nothing hooked me as much as that moment. Um, it, for me, it was the difference between manipulating data and manipulating the physical world. And what that did was it gave me a starting point for actually finding a passion and learning programming and learning electronics. And I moved from there to very quickly writing my first Python library, uh, which is still used. It's, it's one of the most used libraries we have. And um, at that point, uh, I also wrote, a, I, I decided to make a project as well and asked Adafruit if I could write a guide for that project and they approved it. And when I finished that guide, it was the first thing they paid me for. And at that time, um, I also asked them if I could come on part-time, continuing to write code and uh, do support in the community and that sort of thing, and they accepted. And um, I so I did that for a few months. And then three months later, I asked to come on full-time. And so basically from start to finish in terms of when I picked up electronics and programming uh, in July of 2017 and when I joined Adafruit full time was about six months. Um, and a huge part of that was the Adafruit community. I was not in the greatest place at the, when I started all of it and I joined the Adafruit community and found that I was leaving every day feeling really good about myself and really good about people. And that doesn't happen on the Internet in any form. So, so it was it was something that, that really drew me in. And there was a lot of support to be had from other members of the community. And one of the biggest things for me was the moment when I realized I was starting to support other people in the community. I knew very little, but there was always someone who knew less than I did and who had the same questions I had the week before. And I learned really well by teaching. And that was that was a really important part of my learning process was being able to teach others. And there was always someone who, who had the same questions or who wanted to know the thing that I had learned two weeks ago. And so there was always an opportunity for teaching, always an opportunity for learning and just being around amazing people is, is always a positive experience. Um, so all that put together is how I ended up joining Adafruit and uh, While well, my I do a lot of guide work, um, a lot of technical writing for my actual job, um, I've also designed hardware. I've designed, um, you know, more libraries. So I've done software. I've done drivers, um, and then the community aspect of it is a huge part of it. Um, we put a lot of effort into building and curating our community and making sure that it's a safe and welcoming place for everyone. And we attract the right kind of people. Moderating our community is not actually, it's only very recently become, now that we've grown so much, but it, it's not It's not difficult because the type of people that we attract are, are good people. It just It sort of happens that way, which is also an excellent thing and um, mul- for
0: multiple reasons. Um, so it ends up kind of self-moderating.
1: In like a lot of ways, yeah. The right yeah. kind of people. Exactly. And-
0: and you had you did not have any electronics or programming experience prior to, you know, trying to get into the uh, Raspberry Pi? I
1: did not. Um I a friend of mine wanted to learn Django and wanted someone to learn it with him. And I needed to know Python to move into Django, so I was trying to learn Python to get it was, this is a bizarre <laughs> sequence of events, <laughs> but this is how it went. And I, I, so I found the, the Python tutorial and it turns out it's written for programmers. It's not written for beginners. And I got to like section four, which was, um, what was it? It was, uh, flow control and just hit a wall in terms of trying to learn it. I couldn't get past really weird math and sequencing and, and just bizarre String manipulation. It was it was it was just it didn't speak to me and I couldn't get past it. Um, But previous to trying to learn Python. No, I had no programming experience. I had no electronics experience. I have a bachelor's in psychology. Unrelated.
0: Wow, so that's that's a heck of a pivot there. That's that's awesome, and I'm glad you're able to find something that really uh, spoke to you. And so you said that Circuit Python, that idea of like physical computing, where you were able to get something to blink and do something in the physical world. That's that's what attracted you, right?
1: Yeah, it was it was very much that I typed a thing on the computer, and then this this tiny item on my desk did a thing. That it, it sounds so simple, but it was, it was everything. And everybody loves LEDs. Like, that's, that's just a fact. And, and so CircuitPython's hello world is, we refer to it as blinky, and it's basically making an LED blink. Um, and with the library that I wrote, it's actually super easy to do on the Circuit Playground Express. Um, but at the time it was a little more difficult because the library does all the setup and all the handling of the hardware in the background. Um, so it took a little bit more effort, but I, the project I did was a light up tone piano that used capacitive touch. And for me, that was also a huge thing for me in the sense that I wrote this piece of code. I put it on this board and now I touch this board and it does things. It lights up, it makes sound. And and I wrote the code that made that happen. And for me, that was, that was a super attractive prospect and it really, it hooked me. Um I felt like, I felt like I was doing something like there was there, there I do a thing and like there's, there's results that happen that I can actually like interact with physically. Um, and it's, it's kept me going since I, I still love it um, even when it's just getting sensor data and that is, you know, still data that's coming from a sensor to your computer. So it's kind of data manipulation in the end, but still it's, I know that it's coming from this physical product that I have and, you know, that's where that information is coming from. And, and that's where I'm manipulating it is still physically.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. That's that's why I keep going with embedded systems as well. I love the idea of, you know, I write a thing and a, a thing in the physical world happens, right? That's I I I am with you. I that's what attracts me to that whole world as well. because um, you can write programs and you're like, oh, it's bits in your computer, and you're like, eh, it's like printing strings to the screen, who cares? But like lighting something up or making something move is a lot of fun.
2: Exactly. Taking this into kind of my parallel, because I'm less, you know, I don't I'm not an engineer and I don't I don't play around. Although I have a Raspberry Pi and Arduino and stuff, but my sort of analog to this is from a sales experience. The sales side and closing deals, like when you bring in a new relationship, you bring in a new customer and, you know, especially when you have a shared office. I remember the first like really big deal I closed in my career that like afternoon after the contract was signed, I remember hearing like over the cubicle wall. This is back when offices were a thing. Uh one of my colleagues like typing and like starting the project so I know this is like a little bit abstracted away from what you guys are talking about but uh but I remember that feeling is like very tangible as well I think from a new business perspective when you like bring that new relationship and like something just like came into being and I think that like outside of electronics even just as a company when with this podcast we publish something and people start listening um but that like interaction with the real world and feeling like you're really making a difference um I think being able to do it on your desk and then scaling it up is something that a lot of our listeners are kind of thinking about when they're wanting to like start a company, but you have to start with like a single led, right? You have to start with like that single basic thing before you can sort of have this grand vision of changing the world. And I think there's something really tangible about that.
1: Absolutely. You have to start somewhere and it starting small is a good way to go because starting big can be very difficult and very costly.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So key word, I, I costly,
0: wanna... right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, I, w- I want to take a brief moment to talk about CircuitPython. We had a couple of listener questions. So I think Harris is going to ask those. And some of them might get in a little little bit of the weeds. So you can always defer to like, hey, come join us ju- come join us on a community in Discord. Um, but uh, you, you mentioned that CircuitPython is basically Python running on a microcontroller, right? Can you tell us a little bit more about it? Just give us like a two-minute overview of what CircuitPython is.
1: So you've nailed it. Uh, CircuitPython is a version of Python that runs on microcontroller boards. Um, the key features that we push is that it has native USB support, which the, in terms of the user end of that, what you see is when you plug that board in, it shows up as a USB drive and you can then edit a code.py file right on that board. And as you hit save, it reloads and runs your code. So if you want to make that LED blink, you put that code right in there, you hit save, and it'll reload and the LED will start blinking. Um, it's, it's a, it's that experience that is basically the quintessential circuit Python. And it's, it's based on MicroPython, which is also Python that runs on microcontrollers. But MicroPython is, um, a much lower level language and it's a bit more difficult to get started with. There are more steps involved in getting your code to run. Um, so CircuitPython is more designed around, uh, education and, um, wanting to lower the barrier, uh, for entry to electronics and programming both. And so we put a lot of effort into what we, what we refer to as the first five minutes, which is that first five minute experience. If I hand you this board, what is your experience in the first five minutes you know, do you manage to get your code running and, and get started with your project? Or are you still trying to get your IDE set up? Like, there is no IDE necessary for CircuitPython. So any any Python editor um, will work. And a lot of people um, already have a favorite editor that may work with Python, you can use that we have one that we recommend for those that don't have one called Mu, um, which has a lot of stuff built into it that you can use with CircuitPython but it is meant to make things easier um, and make getting started easier and and make everything more approachable.
0: So 15 years ago, I think that's where Arduino was, right? Like they were trying to make electronics more approachable. I kind of see CircuitPython taking that new mantle of, hey, you know, text-based programming for beginners and doing something fun in the physical world.
1: Yeah, I mean, Arduino definitely has its place. There are, for example, there are speed limitations with CircuitPython Python that Arduino has already dealt with, and so if you find that whatever your project is requires more speed, you know, you you may want to stick with Arduino. Um, but that's comes from the fact that our focus is is education and the user experience more than it is uh, optimization. Um, these are all things we can approach. It's just not high on our, our priority list um, because of the fact that that's you know what our focus actually is, and I I definitely agree that that's what we're trying to do. I think there's still a place for um, all available programming languages, like for um, for microcontrollers, just in the sense that. You know, our focus is is the user experience and education, and and lowering the barrier for entry. Others maybe, you know, they want to be a lower level programming language, or they have you know speed optimizations, or that kind of thing. Um, and it really creates a situation where you can do pretty much anything with a microcontroller, as long as you're willing to be open to multiple
0: languages. <laughs> for sure, and you know, even the hardcore embedded people, they they like to. Um talk bad about arduino because yeah even arduino has some speed limitations mm-hmm. um, just because of some of the abstraction and so i think you're talking about you know layers of like hey this is super approachable but it's not you're not controlling bits in the hardware yeah. if you want to get there you have to like work your way down to that level and it's you know if 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 you need to you know have nanosecond control then CircuitPython and arduino are, aren't aren't your uh, IDEs or your languages of choice there? Um, and you should look at something else. But I think if, for getting started in education, I think it's wonderful that we have things like Arduino and MicroPython and CircuitPython to really help get people started. Um, like you said, you had that moment of like, this is amazing and like, I want more people, I want younger people to have that moment without having to struggle with, you know, flipping bits in, in hardware because that's hard to wrap your brain around sometimes.
1: Exactly. And that's that's exactly what we're trying to do is is create that situation where um you don't have to figure all of that out a lot of it's done for you um and on top of that too it's not just education um you can get some of those hardcore embedded people when they're looking to do a quick project and they don't want to deal with all that lower level stuff we still manage to hook them with the quick iteration um because you'll see them you know grump 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 and then use circuit python and come back and go all right i get it (laughs)
0: <laughs> yep I, I had the same experience with arduino i still use it for for like oh i need a quick prototype and it's like would you deploy it uh maybe but you know just for getting something up in a couple of hours it's great and i've done a, i've done i did my um the spoopy uh the, the farting spoopy pumpkin with circuit python and it was a lot <laughs> of fun right you can just connect a few sensors and things together and mm-hmm. you're like oh it works so i yeah i do enjoy circuit python i like what you all are doing with it
2: We had a couple questions. Yeah, we had a couple questions from listeners sort of about the future of CircuitPython, and this will segue nicely into the community conversation. Uh, So first one came on Twitter from Stephen Abadie, who's a developer, and he's asking about, uh, can you ask her about the current focus of CircuitPython? Uh, Is it uh, basically between education and and finished products, Uh, the balance of the uses of CircuitPython between education and finished products, and then if you see that evolving or changing over time?
1: So we are definitely focused on education, and in the at the same time, like we don't produce a curriculum of any sort. So if there are people who are interested in using it in a curriculum, that's going to be on the the responsibility of that individual to come up with one. But what we do give is we give a lot of documentation and a lot of technical writing and a lot of guides, and so there's the resources are there for specifically for educators but what our our focus is definitely the user experience and lowering the barrier for entry like i said and bringing in new people and and trying to make a difference in in that uh that sort of sector i guess um in terms of finished product it's not really our focus and i'm not sure that it ever will be um what we do have though is that it is entirely open source and we welcome new contributions all the time so if you are looking to use it in your finished product and there is some aspect of it that isn't as polished as you want it to be you know we we're absolutely happy to accept prs um it's all it's all up on github uh we have a, a guide on contributing to circuit python Um, using Git and GitHub, if, uh, that's something you're unfamiliar with. And, um, it's, so it it creates a situation where if you want a feature added, that isn't our priority, you're absolutely welcome to add that feature and people have done it and it's, it's gone really great. And they've been able to, you know, use things in their product or project or, you know, whatever it is, um, that they would not have otherwise been able to do because that feature was missing. Um, but I don't see it becoming our focus in the future. It's just we. This this is this is kind of because this is all sponsored by Adafruit at the moment, and Adafruit's goal is is teaching, and so it has definitely that's where our goal stemmed from, and I think it's a good place to be. I think it's a good focus to have. There are other languages or. Um, setups that are designed more for your final product. And that would be my suggestion is to use one of those if that's, you know, your need um, because, you know, we're more interested in, in bringing in new folks and that sort of thing than we are about worrying about um, being perfectly polished for any kind of product release.
2: And that makes sense. I feel like projects like this, they're really successful when they know who they're for, right? And it just helps you write documentation better. It helps you communicate. And that that makes a lot of sense to me. And that answered part of the next question that we got. This is from the team over at Bino Electronics. By the way, side note, you should listen to episode five of Hello Blink Show. We talked to Jonathan Giorgino, the founder of Bino. He also has uh, CircuitPython support for his product, the uh, uh, Nova Host Adapter, which is available at Adafruit. And uh, Jonathan was asking, when you're talking to Katni, uh, can you ask her what does she think about adding support for Risk Five? Where does that fall on a list of priorities? Uh, I know that's like a very specific question. They make a developer tool, so I think th- they're sort of thinking ahead. But is Risk Five part of the potential uh, education consideration for CircuitPython? Do you think?
1: So the the thing about that question is the Risk Five is the brain of the microcontroller. And the quintessential CircuitPython experience involves a microcontroller board having native USB, which is to say that ability for us to plug in a USB cable and have it show up as a USB drive. So um, technically, we do support RISC V. Um, there's a, a Litex port, and the soft CPU on that FPGA is a RISC Five chip. Um, but that's. The, the the question that I would have to ask back is what hardware are you working with? Because what matters is the context for the chip. It needs to be on a board that has USB, that has, you know, the that can we can actually work with um to add circuit python support. We don't necessarily <coughs> add circuit python support for a chip itself. If that makes any sense, like the USB stuff has to be there before before a board can be considered. And so the question I would have back to them is, what hardware are you working with, and is it something that can be ported to CircuitPython?
0: So it seems like it seems like CircuitPython supports specific boards. Um, cause when you're doing like pin mapping and whatnot, that usually goes out to the board. Um, I guess you can support it for a chip if you really wanted to. Um, but it seems to be mostly used for finished boards, right? or development boards?
1: Yeah. Um, there, for example, there's a a board that I'm trying to remember if it was crowd supply or or it's something similar um, that is a, a solderable microcontroller that basically is you can it's 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 the pinouts are are done so you can drop it onto your own board and just solder it on there and not have to worry about actually pinning out the board or pinning out the microcontroller itself um and that supports circuit python but the idea is that it, it it's we we can do ports for um particular chips but if it's there has to be a dev board of some kind um for it to be like worth us doing, um, because that's what we want to be able to do is support, you know, boards that fall into the category that we're working with, which is native USB and that
0: kind of thing. Yeah, that makes total sense. So uh, I'd like to move over to develop developer community and what that means. So you know, you're working with the CircuitPython community, and this community is it is it just contributors? Or is it just people who? Um, write things that go into circuit python or does it also include users like who who was when we talk about a community for developers what does that mean so
1: i can only speak to the circuit python community and our community i think is is unique um although i'm sure everybody says that so I i can't say that for sure but our community is is a very broad range of people From hardcore developers who are working on the core, who are working in C, um, to people who are using CircuitPython, to people who are um, maybe doing like real basic projects. And we even have people who just lurk, who, who like to be around for the development discussions, who aren't actually, as far as I know, using CircuitPython, they aren't involved with it. But they just wanna be able to hear what's going on and and are are apparently fascinated by you know our development discussions. Um and then the our our the Adafruit, because it's really more the Adafruit community, and that includes people who are using all kinds of you know programming languages, making wearables, you know, any kind of crafting projects, 3D printing, all that kind of thing. Um we have a Discord server and there are two CircuitPython channels within that Discord server. Um but there's also a bunch of other channels and over 19,000 members. So imagine that th- it's a very broad range of, of folks um, of all ages as well. That's that's another key is that we definitely there's not a specific age range um, or uh, or any kind of thing like that. It's it's just there's such a wide range of people in this community. And um, like I said earlier, we seem to attract the right type of people. And the type of people who um, are just, you know, interested or positive or supportive um, to other people. And just, you know, we'll have people who jump in and suddenly start helping all over the place. And I, you know, ask them how, I ask them how, you know, they're, they're doing or how long, you know, check how long they've been in the community. Oh, I've only been here a week, you know, and already they've helped out in like, you know sixteen different channels on the discord server or whatever
0: what what tools do you have like can you talk about um you you mentioned discord mm-hmm. so I guess like there's like a live chat feed that people can can discuss or voice channels I suppose if they want to do voice um are, are there forums are there other ways that people communicate because I'm, I'm guessing this is like people all over the world right
1: yeah so discord is sort of the main community we we kind of call it a twenty four seven makerspace um and that's sort of the the main community. There are forums, uh, Adafruit hosts forums, and there is like a CircuitPython specific forum that is there. But we we typically expect or suggest people use the forums when it's a hardware issue or something that needs to be tracked long term, um, in the sense that it's an issue they're having and they need some pretty extended help with it. And Discord, there it's just going to get lost in the you know in the noise. So the, the forums are, are more of a specific thing. Um, we also have GitHub, which is, has options for communicating sort of like through issues or through pull requests. And so there's a lot of communication going on there. Um, but that's not really a, you know, let's go chat on GitHub type thing. Um, it's more that it's a good place to get feedback. Um, or to, you know, let us know that you found a bug or, you know, you can go there and say, hey, I'm having an issue with this library. And, you know, depending on what the situation is, we may be able to help you on GitHub as well.
0: Got it. So what's the, um is there a leadership organization? Is there like, you know, somebody in charge of it? Is there like, you know, some type of like hierarchy? Or is it really more freeform that people are just talking and helping each other?
1: It's very much more freeform. I mean, technically speaking, you, you have to have admins on Discord. So there are like four admins, I think. Um, and then we have the community moderators, there's roles on Discord, and we have like a list of community moderators. But what we've also tried to do is create a um, situation where we can highlight people that are helping out a lot, um, this is obviously with their permission, but we created two roles. Uh, one of them is Community Helper and one of them is Circuit Python Helper. And the Community Helpers are folks that help all over the server. And now their names are bright yellow. You can always tell where they are and who they are and whether they're around. And um, it makes it so that if someone has a question, they actually have somebody they can ping instead of pinging moderators who are meant to be moderators, not helpers. And the CircuitPython helper, same thing, except for CircuitPython questions. And it's it's twofold there. It's a good thing for us because it means that we aren't getting pinged with questions as admins and moderators because there's an obvious set of people who can be pinged with questions. But it gives us an opportunity to really highlight people for doing amazing things in our community. You know, positive feedback to people is super important. And, you know, being able to highlight those who are doing positive things in your community, even if all it is is giving them a role on Discord. Um, we actually had little uh, stickers and patches made up um, with the Adafruit logo and the Discord logo on them, which the intention was to send them to people doing great things on Discord. And the first and only people that they've been sent to, as far as I know, are our community helpers. And they were they were just stoked. So it wasn't, you know, I mean, it, it seems like a simple thing, but, you know, that person, we did something that made that person feel good and they're doing awesome stuff for us as well. Um, and that's a really important relationship to build.
0: So the the moderators are usually uh, the Adafruit employees or contractors or people who are like paid roles to, to help manage the community, right? Uh,
1: not necessarily. Um, okay. A majority of the moderators are Adafruit folks, but if we see people who are very involved in the community and are, um, you know, pointing out when there are moderation issues and or just handling moderation issues on their own in the public channels. We'll promote them to moderator. And so I want to say out of maybe 12 people, there's four-ish that aren't Adafruit folks at all. Um, Okay. They're just community members who put a lot of effort into keeping our community amazing and um and and we recognize that by promoting them and and the thing that does for us is that's less i mean it's less work for any one person the more moderators that we have and so it works out really well for us um and they're perfectly happy to be part of a moderation team so it it works out in both directions
0: and then same thing with the um your your community helpers, right? It's it's just people who are involved in the community and not really like employees or contractors. It's just like, hey, you're doing a good job. So I I you know, I that reminds me of back in the day like the you know, the 90s either bulletin board systems prior to some of the 90s stuff or your old forums um where you just built up a community and then people who contributed more would get recognized. And a lot of times they're just volunteers, right? They're just enjoying it and they want to be recognized in the community. Like and just giving them like stickers or something nice um, is all that's really needed.
1: Yeah, it, that's exactly what it is. And all, my, my community helpers and Circuit Python helpers, none of them are Adafruit folks. These are just people who were helping out so much in their respective locations that I asked them if they wanted to be part of this role. And they accepted absolutely. And it was fantastic. And one of the people who is a community helper, I actually messaged him. Uh, and his response was that he'd only been in the community for two months and he wanted to get a feel for it before agreeing to it. And I, I didn't realize he was so new, um, because <laughs> he was just, he was helping so much. I thought, oh, this guy must've been around for ages and we somehow missed it. Um, not at all. So, um, it, all, all kinds of people can be part of that group. And the one thing is though, that I think is a little bit different is if you, Recall that it, depending on this, like whether or not it was manually done or whether it was a system thing, the whole bulletin board and, and forum stuff was based on the number of posts. Mm. In our case, it's not, it's not how much you contribute. It's the quality of what you contribute. And so that's, it's a much more subjective thing in our case, but it means that like if someone is, is prolific, but they're not really very positive or not really a good fit for our community, we're not going to promote them to something, you know? Um, but it, it, it gives us a lot of leeway though um, in terms of, it, it gives us a lot of leeway in terms of being able to pick and choose and being able to know for sure that the people that we are putting in these roles are good for our community
2: it sounds like there's, and it reminds me of a couple of examples where you sort of have there's two pieces of this. There's there's the structure, the norms, the rules, and then within that, there's this sort of organic, people sort of show up, they come up out of the woodwork. You know, I remember with Lulzbot, uh, back in the day, the, we had a PHP BB forum, and there were these super fans that sort of emerged, and it was the more sort of traditional style with the number of posts and those types of things sort of uh, Being like a signal of sort of credibility. But, you know, Sean and I were talking about comments sections, like the Spark fund blog, back when like comment sections and blogs it was like, I think, more of a thing. The comment section on the SparkFun blog post, so you see lots of people jumping in. And so, sort of like the step one is like, okay, how, what technology are we gonna use? What are the rules? How are we gonna sort of confer authority? But then within that, it sort of organically happens. I think some people, when they're starting something new, they think they need a plan for everything, but it sounds like you're saying that after you set the rules, that's sort of your planning phase, that people just show up and that you can sort of, if you're doing something interesting, it's reasonable to have faith that other people will find it interesting and chip in, that you don't need to like have a plan for everything and that you sort of just be open. Like you just like sort of stumbled into the Adafruit community and now you're like a big part of it. Is that, is that, am I following that you sort of need to be like open to this sort of thing?
1: Yes, that's exactly what you need. Um, we, we have a code of conduct and that was something that was very important to us. Um, we originally worked with the contributor covenant, but it's not designed for chat environments. So I took that and rewrote it Um and so we have a solid code of conduct. But what we found was, A, you need to always be up to changing your code of conduct in some way, shape, or form to either match changes in the community or um, people finding new ways to break rules. Um, and then on top of that, we had just different little pieces of information that we felt we needed to provide, like... For example, um, we now have an advertising policy, which is more about, you know, don't get on our server and spam your YouTube channel. We don't mind if you show up and say, hey, I'm doing this cool thing, check out my YouTube channel, but don't put it in every channel, you know. And so because that was happening, um, it doesn't really make sense as a code of conduct edition, but we added it to another channel where people when they get started, we can refer them to that static channel. And let them know. And the, I think it's a huge part of growing a community is being open to changes and open to possibilities. Because if you are rigid about things and you expect everything to fall within a certain scope, you're either going to drive people away or you're going to have a really bad day. Because it's never going to work out like you think it is. Um, and that's not to say it isn't going to work out amazing. It might, but it, you have to you have to let it grow and let it become what it's going to become and that that definitely involves steering it because you you don't want to let it fall into you know some sort of negative internet cesspool which a lot of things can so you want to you want to be prepared to guide and steer things but remain open to a lot of possibilities of you know needing to change how you're doing it or needing to change you know the role structure or whatever it is that you need to do to sort of make that um, work.
2: Yeah, and I can see some people you know may not realize that, you know this is that, that those rules that enforcement that's a important part of getting this right. Because otherwise you see sort of harassment, intimidation, you see like smart, capable people who won't want to jump in. They won't want to help grow your community. They won't want to make your thing better. And, And really, ultimately, the business strategy with being more open here is to try to get more brains thinking about what you're working on to sort of be on people's minds. And if you're creating an environment where people don't feel comfortable doing that, like you're going to alienate people. You're, 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 you're going to be running a worse business. You're going to be running a worse community. And so, you know, I think sometimes people are dismissive of that, of thinking like, Oh, you're this, these weird culture wars and about like, Oh, everybody's important. And it's like, well, yes, everybody is important. And if you want to attract people, you need to build an environment where they're going to come. Otherwise there's other places they can go. Um, and, uh, I just, I think it's really. I just want to underscore that as a sort of a prerequisite. I think if you want to build a community, it has to be a place where people feel comfortable going. Just like if you want to open a business, you can't have like nails on the ground and like a rusty door handles and stuff. It has to be like a safe place where you'd want to walk in. Um, I think that's important. And you socially have
1: too. to be prepared to get rid of a brilliant troll.
2: You, yeah. If you're you smart, be on top of that. If
1: your smartest person is driving people away, you're not doing it right. Because even if that means that four, it would take four people to replace the smarts that this person had, it doesn't matter. Because those four other people are creating a welcoming environment, and this one person is not. And it's, you, you have to be prepared to do that. That you know you might think, oh, we've, we managed to attract this really smart person who's doing so many things for us. It doesn't matter if they're driving other people away. Um, and it's a rough thing. It's a rough decision to have to make. We've We've had to do it. And, but it's a really important thing. And what you were referring to with, um, with the business side of things is it's almost exactly thinking of, of building a business, like you're building open source, because the concept of open source is that it's open and available. And that means more people can contribute. And the more different viewpoints you have involved, the better your product is going to be. It's the same thing with a business. The more viewpoints that you have involved, the better your business is going to be. And the best way to attract more people is to create a situation that people want to be a part of. And that means being, you know, prepared to get rid of people who are, you know, causing problems, but also you need to create that welcoming environment and create a situation people want to be involved in.
0: Yeah, that, that's so true. And I, I've got a, a story about that. Uh, when I was helping with uh, manage a swing dance community back at uh, see you. And really when I saw this at Virginia Tech, because um, that's all about community as well, it's just, you know, not tech anymore. It's, it's dancing. And yeah, you don't want, even if you have an amazing dancer, if they're turning people away, you suddenly realize like we're not attracting new people to this community. And if you want to grow the community, you have to really limit or even, you know, excommunicate some of those people, even if they're amazing dancers or programmers or whatever it is. And one of the tricks that we implemented is to have all of our, anybody in like a leadership position for that, whether they were, you know, essentially the moderators of the helpers is every single time we'd have a social dance, their job, they were like, your job is to go in, find two people you don't recognize and go and welcome them. You like dance with them is first. Or just welcome them. Be like, hey, welcome to the swing community. You know, so glad to see you here. That's it. That's all you have to do. And what we found is that there was a group of, like, super hardcore dancers that were amazing dancers. But they'd only dance with themselves. And they didn't welcome any new community members. And it would create this... this clickish divide between people so people felt turned off that they weren't in the click crowd or the in the cool kids crowd and and you stopped attracting these new members. So we really implored our any leaders, anybody who was at a great dancer, like please just go welcome two people. Just go say, hey, thanks for coming, or go dance with them. Even if they're terrible, it doesn't matter. Just make them feel welcome. And I think you're absolutely right in having people, especially in the tech community, which can be daunting to a lot of people, finding ways to welcome them in and going out of your way just to like do very simple things like you were talking about. Um, I think that's super important because yeah, you don't want to turn people away. That's like, that's how you lose the community.
1: Absolutely. And you see it happen all the time. Um, and it's unfortunate because there are communities that could be amazing and they're not because they're people just, it's 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 difficult to turn someone away. That's a difficult decision to make, but you have to be prepared to do it.
0: Yeah, and it takes one toxic personality to ruin a whole community. It
1: really does. It absolutely does, and that's something that you need to stay on top of and be aware of. And you need to also create a situation where people can report that. If if you aren't receptive to people reporting issues, you're also creating a toxic environment. You know, just by you know saying, "Oh, well, you know, it's fine. Don't worry about it." Like that's not appropriate. You know, if someone comes to you and says, like. I found this interaction offensive. You need to be prepared to do something about that.
0: Yeah, and that's a tough thing to have to do. But yeah, if if they if people know that you're sticking up for them and looking out for them, they'll want to stick around. They want to feel safe and secure in that community. Exactly. And, and we had to do the exact same thing in the swing dance community. If somebody reported inappropriate behavior, we were on it. We, we'd have to like turn people away from dances because we're like, look, like this this was reported to us. Like you know, either like give them a warning, um, and if they don't change their behavior, be like, look, you're uninvited.
1: And, and that sucks to do. Yeah. But that's another thing to remember is that this is your environment. It's your community. Mm-hmm. It's not a court of law. It's not a public thing. It's it's yours. And you have every right to set rules and, and keep them and stick up for people and turn people away. And you should never feel bad about making sure that your community stays welcoming and positive. And you're going to get a lot of people who will say like, Oh, why do you have a code of conduct? Or, you know, I, I shouldn't have to follow that. And it's like, well, you know what, you can go somewhere else and not follow it. And that's fine. But if you're going to be here, this is how things are going to work.
2: Yep. It's like a form of social debt. It's like, yes, sometimes un- enforcement can be a little uncomfortable, but if you put it off and put it off and put it off, you're g- it's going to be a lot worse later. It almost honestly reminds me of like pulling weeds in a lawn where it's like, look, You don't have to take care of your lawn, but eventually you're not going to have any grass left. It's going to be a bunch of dandelions and, you know, and everyone's going to be sneezing when they go over into your like terrible, you know, house or park or whatever. And I'm not saying people are like weeds, but the sort of the analogy is you've got to take care of things, even if it means a little more work up front. Um,
0: so, you, you brought up a good, both of y'all put, brought up a good point earlier that I wanted to, to reiterate. And this was y'all moved to Discord, right? Looking at your tools, um, as kind of your primary way to do this. And what I noticed is that there's a, tra- there's been a transition in internet communication over the years. Um, like we started with like bulletin board systems, you have forums, um, there was like IRC and some other things that came about. And it seems like there were, you know, Adafruit, I don't think Adafruit ever had blog or product comments, where SparkFun did. Um, But Adafruit always had a really vibrant forum. And it seems like people are moving now towards more of this uh, synchronous communication with Slack and Discord and all these others. And the CircuitPython community was great about going, you know what, let's, let's, everyone seems to want their, this, the zeitgeist, what the, internet community wants is this synchronous communication. So let's make sure we have a place for this and curate the community on Discord rather than trying to force people into the forums. Because if people are going to Discord, then you should go to Discord. That that makes business sense, right?
1: Absolutely. Remaining adaptable is super important. Um, and remaining adaptable to what your community needs. Because if just like we actually completely reorganized not that long ago, the circuit or the, not the circuit, the discord channels. And that was to create a series of help with channels. And that's because there people were coming to us and saying like, I have these questions, but I don't know where to go with them. Or is this the right place to talk about this? Or people saying, you know, Hey, I'm trying to have this general conversation and someone is trying to get help with their Arduino project. It, it's jarring or whatever. And so we, we listened and we restructured the channel setup completely and it's been working out great. Um, and so we, um, we, we listened to our community and made some changes and, and, it, and it turned out very positive. And while that's not as astronomical as moving from maybe your current communication setup to, a, to another communication setup, which can be a very involved process, it's still a good example of being adaptable to your community needs.
0: Yeah, that makes total sense. Um and that's awesome y'all are able to stay on top of that and just pay attention and adapt as needed. So I've got one more question here and we'll see if Harris has any more, but uh how do you get people to join the community? Is it an active like advertising recruiting thing or is it just kind of like, oh hey, every time you write a blog post um about CircuitPython, say, We're on Discord and add a link, or you go give a talk and say, um about Circuit Python and say, Hey, come join us, we're on Discord. Uh so what is what is advertising or so enticing people?
1: whenever I give talks, I do include discord. But part of that is it's a good way to get a hold of me. And most people in talks put, here's how to get a hold of me at the end of a talk. So that's more why I do it there. To be honest, um, there's not we, y- yes, if we were to put something out about Circuit Python, we will often mention discord. But there's not a lot of active recruiting per se. Um, as, as Phil likes to say, just Make, be so great that you you can't be ignored, and on some level, we've just created this in this community that is such a positive experience for people that more people show up. And um, recently, like Discord just created a thing called server discovery, or I don't know if just, but they there's a thing called server discovery where you can if if you fit a certain number of criteria, you can be part of it. Which means if someone goes to Discord and searches DIY or, you know, hackerspace or whatever, they will find, you know, your channel, if your channel is tagged under that term um, or your server. So we did that. And I know that's definitely brought a lot more people in. Um, But for the most part, word of mouth, um, not a lot of talks happen. Not a lot of um, presentations and tutorials and that kind of thing really happen, um, at least from us. But... I get the impression that when, you know, community members are giving talks, they are also mentioning discord. So it, it's just, we've created a situation that is good for people. So people talk about it. And it, often if something in the forum seems more suited to discord, we'll mention it. But at the same time, if something seems more suited to the forums while we're talking on discord, we'll also mention the forums. So it's more about what an individual needs, whether or not we mention it. Um, It's, I know that there's references to it on Facebook, there's references to it on other social media and that kind of thing. So we, you know, we we put it out there from time to time, but I don't think that there's really a hardcore active, um, recruiting thing going on. It's just kind of, we've created an amazing community and people want to be a part of it.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and make sure you're, you're using the appropriate tool for the right job kind of thing.
1: Yeah, Exactly.
2: No more questions. I have really enjoyed this conversation. I so appreciate. Thank you so much for having me, Katni.
0: Yeah, this was so great. Um, I I made a, a number of good connections about like you know managing a community and what that looks like. And I think anybody who's looking to grow a tool or a suite of tools that people use, this is great advice. So thank you so much for coming on the show and um, helping out and telling your story. Absolutely.
2: Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and share the show. Let us know what you think on Twitter at HelloBlinkShow. Find show notes at HelloBlinkShow.com. The Hello Blink Show is shared under a CC by 4.0 license by Skalriza, LLC and Kenny Consulting Group, LLC. The intro and outro music is Routine by Amin Maxwell and is shared under a CC by 3.0 license. This song can be found at SoundCloud.com slash Amin Maxwell slash Routine. Yeah, so we're talking about commercializing um, products, and you just had some other thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, so there are people who are using CircuitPython in finished products, and they're selling quite well. Um, The only thing is there are some branding concerns, but it's it's pretty cut and dry. If you are going to make changes to CircuitPython to have it work on your product, we just ask that you don't call it CircuitPython. Um, you can call it whatever you want and continue to use the rest of CircuitPython, but it's it's not CircuitPython if, if any kind of fundamental things have been changed. However, if you don't make changes to it, not only can you call it CircuitPython and sell your product with it, um, you can set it up so that it's downloadable from circuitpython.org for your product. We will include your finished product on that page with images and a quick blurb about it. And, and just as we do with any of the Adafruit boards and there's actually more non Adafruit boards on that site right now than there are Adafruit boards. Um, we have so many people who have submitted things and it, you also create a really positive experience for your customers because they can just go to circuitpython.org and download the software for
0: your product circuitpython.org is fantastic. I was going to say I used it for my the pumpkin project. And I am very glad that y'all have that because it, it made it really easy to find the latest release because otherwise you're like scrolling through releases in GitHub, which is not very presentable in my opinion. It,
1: not only is it not presentable, we have so many languages that there are something like 350 assets on every release. So you would have to scroll through it to not only find your board, but then find your language. It was untenable. So we created circuitpython.org where it's all just a drop-down and, and if you want to choose a different language, choose it. Um, but it's all just right there and it's a button to click instead of a lot of scrolling and guessing and hoping.
2: It's interesting because like new bootstrap companies, like they have to be a lot of things at once. So like first you're an engineer and you develop a product, but then you have email marketing and social media and so you're a publisher and then you also are going to have i think what's working really well with these bootstrap companies is being full stack where they've got hardware software and services but now you're a software developer on top of that and i think that these companies that are doing well are trying to find ways to do all these things but it's really hard and so circuit python is basically offering a way to make it easier to make deliver an integrated product that's not just like a commodity hardware product but it's hardware that comes with software support and it's coming from this trusted community I think that's very compelling, and I think that's something that people should think about.
1: Absolutely, and being able to build off of another community in a reasonable manner is a great way to go. Um, because there are um, people who are putting up uh, projects on crowd supply, for example, and um, there's a lot of chatter about it on on our Discord. And so there's like sub communities within our Discord as well, where you know, and also we do like partnerships. Um, we actually have a partnership with, with Crowd Supply. They have a channel. They have their own Discord now, um, but they have a channel on, on ours as well um, for any discussions that want to happen on, um, on our Discord uh, regarding any kind of um, projects that, that they're doing.
0: So one of the things I think that's not very well known or I feel like it's not well known is Blinka is like my favorite thing in the world. Um, it makes it so easy to just pull in sensor data or whatever you need on like a Raspberry Pi. Yeah. And you're running CircuitPython to like use the Adafruit library. So you don't have to like, oh, I need to get accelerometer data. I'm like, oh, I have to do like I squared C writes and do all this. And you're like, no, no, no. Just like pip install Adafruit Blinka and use the library and you're good. (laughs) Like Blinka is my, like one of my favorites.
1: And it now supports 50 boards. Like, 50 single-board computers are now supported by Blinka. Yeah, that was a very recent thing. Um, And it's just continuing to be added. Um, So basically, uh, what Blinka is, is a software compatibility layer that allows CircuitPython libraries to be used on Linux single-board computers. So you can take that sensor and plug it into your Raspberry Pi or your one of 50 boards and um get that information get that data without a lot of extra effort it's just a matter of wiring it up and all of our guides actually where things are compatible um have raspberry pi wiring as well so that's awesome we we highlight it in every one of the product guides that we do
0: so so this is probably a silly question um i feel like i should know the answer to this is the can you run blinka on windows right like i can pip install blink on windows and then usb something in so i can get raw sensor data from something that's like plugged into my usb through some kind of translator
1: you know i want to say yes but i i'm not
0: sure okay because I, th- I think like the binyo kind of supports that but it was a little slow i know they were looking at that um yeah i'm trying to because i wonder if like that's where people are going with some of these like machine learning type things of like oh i'm gonna run python and Blinka allows me to talk directly to a sensor from like my laptop or computer and then i can pull in raw sensor data as i like you know make gestures with my wand and it just makes training it a lot easier than rather having like collect it on the device itself and then move data right i I know that
1: we have like a like a a usb host board thing okay that allows for communication like with computer like actual computers desktop computers instead of um instead of uh uh, like instead of using a single board computer or a microcontroller. Um, at the FT-232H, I think, is one of them.
0: Yeah, I'm looking this up right now. Uh, CircuitPython, any computer with an FT... That, that's an FTDI part, right? An FT-232H. Yeah, Carter Nelson looks like wrote this. Yeah, um, that is... Okay. Yeah, so it looks like something does exist. It's, uh, I'm going to have to dig into this some more because I like this idea of like, oh, I'm going to train a magic wand on my computer and I don't need to like... Collect it on a separate thing and then move all this data over. So I'm going to have to look into this.